for scripture reading today. Uh, there'll be two passages. First one uh, from Psalms 103, verses 1 through 5, and then from Philippians 4, uh, verses 4 through 9. So first of all, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And then from Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whether, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Good morning. There's something in scripture that I've read many times. I'm sure you have too. We actually uh, heard a pa one of the passages, um, and we will talk about some of the others this morning but uh, that talks about giving thanks in all circumstances. And it's an unusual kind of thing. It, it doesn't fit well for many of us in this life. We get so conditioned to responding to what our experience is at the time. We get so accustomed to uh, the idea that depending on what's happening to me, that's what determines whether or not I can be thankful or whether or not uh, things are all wrong. And um, it's, I say it's unusual because usually when things aren't going well, we don't think of praise or giving thanks in those moments. So many of you, uh, as we come to the th this theme of Thanksgiving, um, I don't know if you know the story of the first Thanksgiving that there was. Um, at least we, we know the pilgrim version of it, but many of us don't know the Native American perspective on it. Now, I'm not talking about a revisionist version of history, I'm talking about an amazing story about the way God used uh, one native named Squanto as a special instrument of his providence. The historical accounts of Squanto's life vary. But historians believe that around 1608, more than a decade before the pilgrims landed in the New World, uh, a group of English traders led by Captain Hunt sailed to what is today Plymouth, Massachusetts. When the trusting uh, Wampanoag Indians came out to trade, Hunt took them prisoner and transported them to Spain and sold them into slavery. But God had an amazing plan for those captured natives. There was a boy named Squanto in that group. 
He was bought by a well-meaning Spanish monk who treated him well and taught him the Christian faith. And he eventually made his way to England and worked in the stable of a man named John Slaney. John Slaney sympathized with Squanto's desire to go back to his home. And he promised to put the Indian on the first vessel bound for America. It wasn't until 1619, 10 years after Squanto was first kidnapped, that a ship was found. And finally, a decade of exile and heartbreak, Squanto was on his way home. But when he arrived in Massachusetts, more heartbreak awaited him. An epidemic had wiped out Squanto's entire village. His family was gone. We can only imagine what he must have gone through and what he must have been thinking. Why had God allowed him to return home against all odds only to find his loved ones dead? A year later, the answer came. A shipload of English families arrived and settled on the very land that was occupied by Squanto's people and his family. He went to meet them and he greeted the startled pilgrims in English. According to the diary of Pilgrim Governor William Bradford, Squanto became a special instrument sent of God for our good. He showed us how to plant corn, where to take fish, and to procure other commodities, and was also our pilot to bring us to unknown places. He never left us till he died. When Squanto lay dying of a fever, Bradford wrote that their Indian friend desired the governor to pray for him that he might go to the Englishman's God in heaven. Squanto bequeathed his possessions to his English friends as a remembrance of love. Who but God could so miraculously weave together the lives of this lonely and sent off to slavery native? And his faith had an impact, and his kindness had an impact. It was unusual. It was not what you would expect. You would expect there to be a lot of anger and a lot of frustration with the fact that he had been not only taken into slavery, he was disconnected from his family and never saw them again. And yet he was teaching the new visitors to the country Thanksgiving. I don't know how you think of Thanksgiving. Is it primarily the menu items on the meal? Is it the family gathering? But today, and in a few minutes, uh, we'll give you an opportunity to give thanks, and we'll have microphones available if there's something you'd like to, to share, so be thinking about that. But I would ask this one question directly in relation to what we're going to look at today, which is a scriptural basis for giving thanks. What is enough? What is enough? How do we determine that? The story is told of two old friends who bumped into one another uh, on the street one day, and one of them looked forlorn, almost on the verge of tears. His friend asked, well, what's the world done to you, my friend? The sad fellow said, well, let me tell you, three weeks ago, an uncle of mine died and left me $40,000. That's a lot of money. But two weeks ago, a cousin I never heard of 
I didn't even hardly know, and he left me $85,000 free and clear. He said, well, it sounds like you've been blessed. Oh, you don't understand, his friend interrupted. Last week, my great aunt passed away, and I inherited almost a quarter of a million. Now he was really confused. He said, well, then why do you look so glum? And his friend responded, this week, nothing. It sort of illustrates our struggle, doesn't it? Sort of a classic example of taking for granted. We've been blessed, but we take it for granted. Or we depend on, what, well, what have you done for me lately, God? You know, that, that whole mentality is part and parcel of our culture. We speak only if we don't like it. We give thanks only if we feel obligated to. We don't learn to appreciate the little things. We end up taking for granted so many of the pleasures, so many of the conveniences, until they get taken away and then we, then we are forced to reevaluate. There was, uh, I think there's an epidemic in our country in our lives, an epidemic that is an example made by two young boys who were quite mischievous, and uh, they waited till their grandpa went to sleep one day. He was sitting in his easy chair, as he often would fall asleep there, and they snuck into the kitchen and got some Limburger cheese, and they put it under his nose on his mustache, and when he woke up, he said, this room stinks. And he walked into the kitchen and said, this house stinks. And then he went out on the porch and proclaimed, the whole world stinks. And sometimes that's us. And we don't really realize that the Limburger cheese of our lives is really our faith, our focus on God. We aren't just called to give Thanksgiving one time a year. We're called to actually live a Thanksgiving life. And we're taught that in scripture. The Hebrew word for thanks is ta. It's the simplest, most common way to say thank you. To say thank you is ta-da. And, uh, and we, would, we would maybe be good if you aren't going to remember to say thank you. Maybe we say ta-da. Ta-da raba in Hebrew is a word that means thank you very much. In the Greek language, there is a word for thanksgiving that you may not be aware of. Does the word eucharisto sound familiar? The Eucharist, for those of you that come from some church traditions, uh, Lutheran, Presbyterian, and some others, the Eucharist is the word not only for thanks in Greek, it's the word that is used for communion or the Lord's Supper. It's a word that is used for remembrance. It's a word that is used for the breaking of the bread. The Eucharist is not just, so when we take communion, we take communion out of thanks for what we've been given and out of thankfulness for what God has done for us. 
there are many other references in scripture that confirm that we are not to underestimate or diminish the significance of giving praise. Now in scripture, many times those passages talk about rejoicing. And that is the same thing. How do you rejoice if you aren't thankful? And how can you be thankful for something without actually expressing it? Let's just look at a few of those references. And I want us to understand, start looking at the fact that all throughout Scripture, these are a sampling of times where Scripture tells us to rejoice and give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, very similar to the text that Doug read from Philippians. It's, it's, it's a parallel passage where Paul again says to the Thessalon church in Thessalonica, the same thing he said to the church in Philippi. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be constant in prayer. In James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet Trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness have its, having its full effect uh, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And in Philippians, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you as the th that trouble me and is safe for you. In Matthew 5.12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Romans 5.3 Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces perseverance. And in Psalm 146, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Squanto sang praises to God when he had no reason to do it. What's our reasoning? One more. 1 Peter 4.13. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in all circumstances. And we don't get it half the time. If we do get it, we don't accept it because the next thing comes along and there's a week, no inheritance. I would be satisfied with one of those three weeks. <laughs> but that's us. That's our human place. And I think that we need to understand that rejoicing is not just to somehow give God greater glory. God does not gain greater glory because we say it. But because we say it, we receive something in that rejoicing that we don't get otherwise. And so there is a power, a transforming power to rejoicing. I think it's why Paul kept helping people point to the fact that we're talking about God's kingdom here, not ours. And that we overcome our difficulty and our struggle. We overcome our hopefulness or hopelessness. 
and we overcome the depressing times by doing what is totally unexpected in this world, and that is rejoicing in the good things. On Wednesday evening, I was sharing with the Click Club, and I, I distinctly remember this. This comes to mind so often, but we always think that we have it so bad. And so I'm laying in Riley Hospital dying. The doctors had told my parents I was not going to make it. They do everything they can, but I wasn't going to make it. And I'm laying there, and I realize things are not good. And then I look over to the bed beside me, and there's a young boy there. And he's diabetic. And I watched him with great fascination take his insulin and put it into the syringe and then give himself a shot. And I distinctly remember praying, God, thank you that I don't have to do that because I could never do that. I, it just, it was like, it, it wasn't that it just weirded me out. It was just, I could never do that. And I was thankful that I didn't have what he had to deal with. Um, and so it's this idea that we don't, we, do we rejoice in what God has done for us? And do we, we rejoice in the fact that this world can't ever take it away. There's nothing this world can do to take away that which God has established for me in Christ Jesus. So I want to take time to have you share. What do you have to rejoice about today? Feel free to raise your hand. The ushers will bring around a mic, uh, or you can, you can, you're welcome to come up here to speak from the platform here. We'll just get started. Who'd like to start us off? My name is Art Martin. My wife's name is Esther D. Martin. About one week from today, I was walking along Road County Road 127, one half mile northeast of Troyer's Foods. Why was I walking along the road? I have a big garden out there. I was carrying two empty five-gallon buckets and a careless driver behind me brushed one of my five-gallon buckets. It pushed against my leg and hip. I felt nothing. I could have been hit, hurt very seriously. The point of this story is all of us in this congregation across America sooner or later have something to rejoice and praise God and be thankful for if we weren't hurt more seriously. Now, I want to read something that summarizes our feelings. In Hymnal, a worship book, page 366. In Hymnal, a worship book, page 366, is a hymn by Harry Emerson Fostick, God of Grace and God of Glory. Reading, God of grace and God of glory, on thy people pour thy power. Come, crown thine ancient church's story. Bring her bud to glory's flower. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the facing of this hour, for the facing of this hour. That summarizes our feelings quite well. 
Thank you, Arthur. That's a wonderful word. God of grace and God of glory. And we do need the power of God in our lives. It's a wonderful message. Hi, my name is Gina Mujica. Um, there's so much I could say today. Um, just back, I'm going to try to make it very concise. Um, back in April, a lot of things started, beginning with my fiance's unexpected heart issues and open heart surgery. And since that time, there's just been thing after thing after thing. And um, this, a couple of weeks ago, I had a new-to-me car, and I was sitting ready to turn into work. And I got slammed from behind, and my car was totaled. I had no idea. Um, what I was going to do is turned out that the driver was uninsured. Uh, my insurance took care of everything, but I had saved to get a down payment for that car. And... Um, the insurance paid for my loan, but I got $200 back, and you can't buy much with $200. Um, so I started looking, and um, thankfully I found something. It wasn't as great as I th was hoping for, a lot of miles, but we had it looked at by a mechanic, and everybody said everything was great. This last Tuesday, I was pulling into a gas station, and I heard a loud clunk. I pulled in when I went to leave, my car would not go into reverse, and I figured it was the transmission. And I sat in that parking lot, crying very hard, kind of yelling at God, and said, I just, I can't take anymore, I don't know, I don't know what to do, I'm done. And then I remembered something I told my oldest son a few weeks ago when he was feeling pretty low, and I said, when things are the darkest, you need to look around, because God is always there and he's always smiling and you can find him, you just have to look. So I put on my big girl pants and I started to make some phone calls and um, my mechanic, who happens to be a friend, was two minutes away. He came and he looked and he said, yes, yeah, the transmission. And I started to cry again, but I said, okay, let's figure out what to do. So he helped me get home and he said he wouldn't charge me labor, whatever, $4,000, which to me was way too much. The previous owners, who also happened to be friends, pitched in some money because they felt horrible. Um, the mechanic said there was no way to know that this was going to happen. So anyway, long story short, most of that money has been covered. My car is being fixed. I have a loaner. But this morning I woke up with grateful heart because I look around and everything over the last few months God has provided. He's made a way and I keep looking and I keep finding him in the darkness. And I'm just very, very grateful this morning. Thank you, Gina. Good word. We all have those stretches. Someone else. I am thankful for my family. They're so good to me. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have them. Thank you. Thank you, Doris. Wonderful word. How important we are to each other the little things that, that fill in the gaps that come at times that, that we need it the most. And, and that's how God, God works. Um, on Easter Sunday evening, my daughter Janet and Jerry and their son, they had uh, their pastor and wife and five children out for a wonderful evening. But uh, the evening didn't didn't end very well because um, all at once she started feeling very sick. 
and she ended up with a major stroke. But they didn't diagnose it correctly right away. It wasn't until Monday evening over at Elkhart General. Well, before that at Goshen Hospital, it was finally, they finally realized what it was because the symptoms weren't the normal symptoms. But um, they immediately transferred her to Elkhart General. The neurosurgeon didn't know if she was going to make it. But she did, and um, she's driving and doing all the things that need to be done. But she, so she's really recovered very well. She rests, has to rest quite a bit. So I'm very thankful for his healing. Thank you, Treva. This is Linda Hartman, and I'm thankful for this congregation and my friends and family. Um, there were a number of times when I was in the hospital and when I came out. I mean, when I was in the hospital, people were texting me and every day and you know, keeping in contact with me. And when I got home, we'd say, "No, we're fine." You know, we both. I mean, he, Phil can cook, you know, and we're okay. And people wouldn't take that. They, you know, came by with the house with a couple of times with food and you know visited. And I'm just so thankful for that. Thank you, Linda. The power of the community responding as we do. The texts, um, Brad had indicated to me this week, he, at, point, at certain points he was overwhelmed by our, you, you as a congregation, your kindness, your calls, your, your prayers um, just meant a great deal to him. And I, I think Linda's testimony too is just how important that is. That's who we are. We're called to be that kind of a people that give encouragement and give hope and, and give a companionship in the difficult times. I think it's a powerful thing for us. Thank you for sharing this morning. I want to just walk us through very briefly this passage that was read from Philippians. I want to note, first of all, that... Um, the Apostle Paul didn't say that we are to give thanks for all circumstances. That's a misnomer. That's not what he said. He said that we're to give thanks in all circumstances. And you say, well, why? Why, especially with some of these stories, when we're talking about the possibility of death even, and when we're talking about the overwhelming sense of being out of control of the things around us. Why would we be rejoicing in those moments? We see it all through Paul's writing. We see it in the disciples while they're in prison, while they're being persecuted. We see it in some of the, the founders of the Anabaptist movement where they were speaking praise to God as they were burning at the stake. Doesn't make sense. But that's because we're part of a different kingdom, a spiritual kingdom that this world doesn't understand. And this world will never fully understand it. And yet what we have to remember is that 
our rejoicing is the way in which we demonstrate to the world that through the power of Jesus Christ, we will not be overcome. We are victors. We are being given the power to live in joy because we know that no matter how long we're on this earth, we know not only where we're going, but we know we're going to a place that is filled, filled with rejoicing and peace and no more tears. But even more, as we've talked about in some of our sermon messages, we're not just called to look forward to heaven. We're called to bring heaven down through us now. And so let's walk through this Philippian passage. The first thing he says is rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Now, if Paul says, I will say it again, after he said it very emphatically, it means pay attention. I will say it again and again and again. And you have said it again and again and again in your sharing this morning. Rejoice in the good things that are there. So this rejoicing gives us a place of, of not joy from the circumstances, but we have a joy and a contentment contentment and a thanksgiving within our hearts that God will place there and that nobody can take away from us. So that is the, the, the first aspect of this, of this passage is rejoice always. Secondly, we're to claim a sense of peace. Notice what it said in verses 5 to 7. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Say, okay, so people are watching us to see how will we react. Will we get caught up into it? Will we, will we pray demanding prayers? God, if you love me, you would take care of this. And, and God sometimes is saying to us, you know, I am taking care of it. You may just not be able to see how that is all working. But just like it was in some of our stories today, that God was working and using even in the midst of difficulty. The Lord is near, it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. So if we're only focused on what's wrong, we'll never get to the place of joy and peace. But with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It won't make sense to this world. It doesn't make sense to this world. I think that one of the reasons that some people want to, to say something, well, that never happened. Oh, those, you know, a, a school shooting or, 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 or the Holocaust. Oh, it never happened. Yeah, because people are in denial about the fact that God is still bringing out of that a significant call for change from the brokenness of this world to the love of Jesus Christ. And people, uh, when they want to reject God and reject the Lord, will make fun of and will always find what's wrong with. And if it's something that is so bad, they'll then just deny, well, that... That this never happened. As if we can create the reality ourselves. 
and that reality that this world offers never brings peace to our hearts and minds. The only way that you can be non-anxious, the only way that you can have peace in the middle of those difficult situations is only through the power of Jesus Christ who was resurrected from the grave to win victory over death for us. And, and until we get that right, we're going to keep getting caught and ensnared by the argumentations and the illogic of this world. And we're going to get caught up in all kinds of, of, of sides, picking sides on this, picking sides on that. So I've continued to say there is one side we're called to be on and that is the side of the resurrected Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Until we get that singular call down, nothing else is going to make sense. And so when he says to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, it leads right into the next thing, which is that we're called to train our focus on godly things. Here's what he says in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. That pretty much includes all of, of who God is and how God works. Think about such things. What is he saying here? Like, oh, oh, hey, I never thought of that. No, he's saying, look, train yourself to be focused on what's right and what's good and what is always going to be victorious, if not in this world, certainly in the one to come. So, it makes no sense to this world when there is praise offered in the midst of great trial and great pain. Paul is not saying rejoice in the pain. He's saying rejoice that someone's given you victory over the pain. That's what he's saying. That's why we rejoice. Every time we rejoice, every time we give thanks, any word of thanks, whether it's even just, uh, you know, I will, I will tell you, <laughs> there are times where I am so hungry and if nobody else is around and I'm by myself and I'm so hungry and I go to take that first bite, there are times, <laughs> maybe I'm strange in this, but... Um, there are times that in that one moment, I'm thinking, oh, no, wait, God, thank you for this food. And I, I will just tell you one time yesterday, I was sitting on the couch going to take a bite and the bite was in my mouth and I just paused and didn't chew on it yet until I said, thank you, God, for this food. And then I chewed and swallowed in, in the right order. I mean, it is that training yourself to the discipline of recognizing. That's why we pray before meals. Even if it's silent, even if nobody knows we're praying, we don't have to look like we're, you know, putting a prayer mat down in the middle of a restaurant and kneeling on it. No, we don't have to do that. All we have to do is, is say it. It's that proclamation, that rejoicing is something that gives me a heart and a mind centered on that which is good. And so we're called to train and focus, train our focus on the godly things rather than on the things that are wrong. And finally, uh, the, the fourth point of this passage is found in verse 9. 
Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. Now, now just think about that. What have they learned from Paul? What have they received from Paul? The teaching and the instruction. What have they even heard from me? Whether it's a letter read that he is writing right now. Put it into practice. And so we are called to actually put into action the rejoicing that we experience with God. We're called to put thanksgiving into action. Um, now that sort of sounds like a, like a you know, conflicting term because how can you be moved into action after you've just stuffed yourself with stuffing and turkey? You're, not, you're kind of docile and you might need a little rest on the couch. But you understand Paul is teaching them that thanksgiving is something and, and giving praise and rejoicing is something that we're not only to act on, but, but we're to, to live out with other people and, and to share it with other people. But that action is a result of the fact that we are clear and we are saying to the dark powers of this world and to Satan himself, you can't take away my joy. And I will stand on that and declare that. And every time I do, you've just won another square inch over for the kingdom of God here and now in this world. And every time we proclaim that and rejoice, we know that God gives us victory. When we do that, we are establishing God's kingdom in a more powerful way. And we're called to proclaim that to others. I'll just share very quickly two short passages. One is from the Old Testament, Isaiah 12, 4. In that day, you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. And in 1 Peter 2, 9. But you, that's us, he's talking about. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. God's special possession. That you may. So what's the purpose? What's the purpose of this? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are the rich of this world because of what God has done for us, what he's empowered in us, and what we have to share with others. And the, then Paul concludes by saying, and the peace of God will be with you. May that peace be with us as we see ourselves not just offering thanks. So let me point to you a couple of things. We're not just going to share a community service. This offering right here will bless families even as soon as possibly this afternoon or tomorrow and be distributed to families in desperate need. We're putting together a meal with a number of volunteers, our hospitality team and... Um, and some others are providing food we're going to be taking in to the county jail for one of their pods of about 35 men and taking them a full-on Thanksgiving meal 
with the full compliments of thanksgiving. We are going to share together in many ways as we worship through this coming season. So thanksgiving is just a precursor to the thing that, that we are more thankful for than anything, which is the coming of Jesus Christ. And so when we share, we are proclaiming, we are shining that light out to others. The purpose isn't just so, oh, thanks God for everything you've done. It's let me bless others with the power of your spirit and the power of your, of your resources that you've blessed us with to give to others. Our purpose in life is to share and shine outwardly what God has done for us. And that starts with an attitude and a heart and a mind of appreciation. I close with this. There was a little girl that was eight years old, Christina. She had cancer of the nervous system. And when she was asked what she wanted for her birthday, and she was in serious condition, she thought long and hard, and she finally said, I don't know. I have two sticker books and a Cabbage Patch doll. I have everything. Do you have everything today? In this very moment, do you have everything? It's that heart of contentment, that heart of appreciation for the good things that becomes the way that we overcome evil with good. I invite you to think about this. Will you come and join the reapers? Will you come today and will you stand with us? And may we stand together to be a people of the harvest. Will we be part of that kingdom that we share with others and bring others to and give others hope and meaning and purpose and joy in their salvation, even as we express the joy of our salvation today.